Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? Recently, I sat down with Doug Gray of the Family Business Consulting Group. Doug is an author, coach, lecturer, and student of the systems and processes generational businesses need to not just grow, but to flourish. Doug focuses on assessing and assessment of individuals within these organizations. He assessed me quickly and accurately, and it's only appropriate one of two books other than his own that he recommended was I Human. I enjoyed our wide-ranging conversation and how well Doug put me at ease. That's a psychologist at work. Okay, or OKR, it's time to put your curiosity cap on and dig into this episode with Doug Gray. Welcome, Doug Gray, to the podcast. Welcome to Generation Excellence Podcast. Uh, you know, Doug is a consultant with the Family Business Consulting Group, FBCG. Feel like I got to be careful when you say those initials. There, you know, we're going to post-record your full and impressive bio because you've got this really neat collection of academic and real-world application of, of what you do. And uh, this is audio for those of you listening, but Doug is surrounded by a library of real books. And I can tell it's not just for the beauty of the Zoom background. It's the real deal. So we'll touch on some of that. Um, but, you know, from, from my homework on you, Doug, it appears that, you know, you're quite involved in addressing and assessing individuals that are part of future generations in leadership and family organizations or sometimes involved in situations where the coach becomes referee. Is is that that fair? Yes. Okay. And, um, I suppose that could be said for any of us in any time. We, yeah. we wear hats, right? And, and you remind me, when I was in high school and college, I was a hockey referee uh, for beer money, basically. But it was uh, a transferable skill. It was an opportunity to make the call and move forward. Interesting. My first paying job was umpiring girls softball. They were like, I think I was in eighth grade and I had the hat and the little brush and the, sure. the ticker thing. So, uh, but also great that you've worked with and in a wide, wide variety of, of businesses and industries. So, you know, broad, broad applicability. So let's actually just start with your background, you know, a little bit of where you're from and what drove you not just to be in this this counseling space, but to become PhD level in the systems of family business and that 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 broad area of leadership. So take us back a little bit. Sure, I'll, I'll give you the short summary. Okay. Uh, I've always been focused on leadership development. So as a kid, that meant Boy Scouts and Eagle Scout and uh, mm -hmm. that ritual. Uh, in my twenties, I worked for Outward Bound in wilderness environments all over North America and England. Uh, in part because it was an opportunity to create a, a world in an unfamiliar environment for uh, a set of strangers. And that transferred into working at prep schools for nine years. I was an English teacher and a dorm head and a coach and all that stuff. Hmm. And that uh, enabled me to realize that everybody's got their issues. It doesn't, re doesn't matter how wealthy or what geography they're from. And uh, along the way, uh, my father is a doctor. My sister is a doctor. I always wanted a doctor. But... Uh, I didn't at that time. I got my master's and did some research on risk-taking behavior because it was relevant at the time. 
and then uh, for 15 or 20 years, I guess, worked in consulting in various venues, uh, mostly practicing the psychology that I'd read about. So that included running a nonprofit at a Quaker school in Washington, D.C. Metro for 10 okay. years, growing that, working at the University of Maryland, College Park, growing a leadership development institute there for a long time. And along the way, I've worked with a lot of family businesses, in part because they had the money and I had the interest. I like the dynamics. I like the social capital. is elusive, but it's a real thing. And it's what defines our, our economy. So that became more and more attractive. And uh, after our girls finished their college degrees, I went back and got my PhD. Ah, okay. <laughs> so and, that's and, a short story. In, in your educational experience, I like I saw Hamilton College, University of Minnesota, Dartmouth, even a touch in Chicago. So you really like it cold and bleak? Is that a fair <laughs> assessment? I, uh, in addition to being a hockey coach and player, I was a NCAA ski coach and love ah. this cold and the cold. Uh, I think there's something about that geography that's also instructive. Uh, yeah. If we look in the Scandinavian countries, uh, Hege is a thing. It's an opportunity to snuggle with our loved ones and, and create a flourishing environment. Psychologists know about that. We study it and we see it as a cultural difference. Well, what do folks in Minnesota do that's different than those in Mississippi? Maybe endure the winter is a factor. So I have some personal experience there. <laughs> and you're you're originally from where? Oh, uh, I moved a lot. So born in Denver, lived in upstate New York in uh, South Dakota and Minnesota and back and forth 15 times by the time I was in junior high. And we're finding you right now where where you're where's your home office based and where are you Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Met a and... good woman who pulled me farther and farther south, Jamie. Yeah, well that five that... years ago. Yeah, that weather those weather patterns change that that thing, you know, along along that way as you're doing those different jobs as you're doing schooling. Is there someone who stands out as kind of a, a key mentor or role model for you, even even though you've done some different things? I've had a half dozen mentors that I, I think are really formative. Uh, my father, above all, mm -hmm. uh, was an education professor and ran a program at, at State University of New York at Albany and was a Methodist minister. And I think combined for me, the practical and the theoretical mm -hmm. ways that uh, were instructive. I so had, you, sorry, go ahead. A, a number of tremendous mentors throughout, throughout my life, mostly clients, just to be clear. And you, and you have this consistent, I guess, kind of role of both being a teacher about subject matter you're involved in and student, right? It's, Kind of why I'm doing this podcast. I'm not really teaching and instructing. I'm still I'm still lifelong learner. Yeah, lifelong learning is is uh, is not an occasional habit. It's a it's the key driver for any successful person. In fact, curiosity is a thing. We can quantify it. We can implement mm -hmm. it. To what extent do you read and ask questions versus declare statements and not read? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I wonder. I want I want to get back at actually that thing you said about some you know the regionality and even you know weathering winters and that. So early in my advertising career I remember there was you know sort of early of the brand of Apple and things like that and there was this discussion of like the West Coast school of design and then there were things that were happening in the East Coast. So with your you know kind of Midwest roots meets global coaching what do you 
and you know, I'm Detroit based, you're down in Nashville. What are you seeing from around just this nation of the US that 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 either can be brought closer to Midwest politeness or away from that? Like what are you seeing anything geographically as it relates to family businesses and and continuity thinking from from pockets of the US? Well, that's a big question, and I'm unqualified yeah, to speak to the geographic and political consequences. And keeping politics out of it, because that's all, I mean, more cultural even. So I will say that uh, our clients as a firm are global, and uh, the Family Business Consulting Group is the premier consultancy in family business world with over 3,000 clients. So there's 32 of us. We're based in uh, all over North America. Okay. And so are our clients. Uh, so... Although there are clusters in Michigan, you'll be happy to know, and California and um, Chicago, there's a, a smaller but growing group in New England and Boston and Connecticut. And I think um, geographic relevance used to be so important in part because we'd want direct visits. I'd want to shake Jamie's hand, mm-hmm. get a sense of who Jamie is at a coffee shop or in, in an office. Well, that's decreased immensely um, pre-COVID. I can remember go to meeting and Skype. I'm sure you do too. Sure. And, uh, for decades, I've done this. And virtual connections is, I think, the only way we're going to evolve. So when I think about our capacity as a species to learn from any geography and read mannerisms and try to respond to questions or ideas or facilitate a, uh, a change, organizational change, that's only going to be augmented by our use of Zoom tools and AI and other tools. Well, staying on that for a second, AI and other tools, blockchain, hybrid work, you know, remote work. So you've been doing this like 25 years and working with family business organizations. So kind of touched on your past a little bit. What do you, what do you and the family business consulting group kind of, what are you talking about for next generation leaders of family organizations? As I mean, every period or every generation likes to talk about the pace of change has never been like this before. I've actually read stuff from 100 years ago where they're saying the same thing. Sure. And there were these, you know, transformational things going on. What are, what are you what are you talking about with those future leaders, with those current leaders? And in in your when you've got that that consulting hat on, you're working with a group. I think if you had 100 consultants in the room, they would have a thousand different answers mm-hmm. to that question. But if you were to distill them into three buckets, I think we all do the same three things. I think we assess an environment, an individual, a team, okay. an organization. I think we recommend whatever it is that we think based on our experience or our, our reading of that group they ought to do or could do. And then uh, we serve them in some capacity over time. Some of our clients we serve for decades. And it could be that Doug works with that person or that system for one or two or three or four years, and then passes it on to somebody else. So it could be the two of us or four of us work concurrently with 100 shareholders to help them articulate the governance needs or look at next-gen demands. So let's go back. I don't think we're good at assessment. In fact, I think we're terrible at assessment. If you wanted to assess a client or a consulting opportunity, too often I think we go to our gut and we say, well, this reminds me of so-and-so. So I can work with them. Or of course they'll pay my fee. So of course I'm going to work with them. Well, how unethical and sloppy is that? In part, it's a new profession, new-ish as a profession, 25 years, arguably. And 
in the last 25 years, as, as we've begun to consolidate some of those assessment practices, I think we're getting a little bit better, but we're not getting better very fast. So assessment is the big gaping hole that I have focused on. Uh, you might've read about the assessnextgen.com yep. website, those 360 leadership assessments are critically important. Why? Because 360s are the most valid form of data. If I ask 10 people to give me feedback about Doug as a leader, that's going to be more valid than Doug's self-delusion <laughs> about my capacity as a leader. Well, we have 360s. We've been using them for 20 or 30 years now in public arenas, but we're not very good at using them yet in family businesses for a bunch of reasons. So Kent and I de developed that theoretical model and then used a large sample population to validate it and whittled it down from 250 items to 50 items. And to be clear, we're talking about assessing individuals within these businesses, okay. right? As if well you... as the organization's health situation. Am I clear? Well, let me give you a case study and I'll clarify okay. it. Uh, because if we pick one individual, we're going we're gonna to fix Joe. Can you fix my brother, Joe? <laughs> That's been an opening question, by the way, in some of... Uh, from from a prospect. And I said, no, I can't fix your brother, Joe. But I can, uh, if you want to move forward, articulate some of the strengths of Joe and others on the leadership team. And then that cohort of next gens, we can look at what they need to do next. So one example is representative. Imagine a fast growing company, 40% year over year. They've got five mid-level managers, two are family, three are non-family. So they're all next gen leaders. Amid that rapid growth, they know that the current president and the current CFO are going to retire. They'll serve on the okay. board. They're going to, they're going to retire. And, and they should, and it's bright, and it's proper, and everybody's doing things with their eyes wide open. Well, the owner says, Doug, I don't know how to assess their capacities. Five leaders. Two are my boys. Mm -hmm. We are great, mm -hmm. well-talented. How do we accelerate their careers? So the owners often need directionality and they need good consulting that's based on multiple perspectives. Typically that comes in two forms, quantitative and qualitative. Great. But we knocked out that process in, I don't know, 60 days, provided them the directions they need. And I continue to work with those leaders over time. And the transition is going very smoothly. None of that would have happened as smoothly if the assessment process hadn't been as robust. So who, who tends to bring you in? To an organization, because you, 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 even before you, you have to have some self-awareness that you need to to some help with this, uh, whether it's owners really challenged, intense, or it's just people are thinking about retiring and they know they they want to do some planning. So who brings you in? Yeah, um, sorry for the crosstalk, but owners talk to owners. So in that example, he was part of a CEO group, a vestige group, and he said, one of yep. my colleagues talked about this. Is that a thing? I said, well, as a matter of fact, it is. And he, he said, this would be worth a million bucks to me. I said, well, how about a fraction of that? Let's get going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the point is uh, owners talk to owners and owners are not sleeping well. You know, we've got the biggest tra uh, transfer in human history of wealth, some 74 trillion. It's happening right now. Well, those who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s often don't understand how to make those transfers. So they need right. some form of assessment that's robust like this. At the same time, the next gens, who could be in their 20s and 30s or their 40s and 50s, mm -hmm. frankly, they're not able to sleep because they can't prove their capacity or 
have agency, which is a psychological term for their control over what they're going to do in their future. What does that mean? we got two groups looking at a problem, staring it down, each of whom wants a solution. So the short answer is owners have provided referrals, our colleagues have provided referrals, advisors of all sorts, attorneys, wealth advisors, and uh, process psychologists have, have provided leads. And I think that's probably going to continue. We haven't begun to market too much, but we're just beginning that marketing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the classic thing of a bit. You're you're in a business model where the trends are in your favor. There, there's business there. There's activity there. There's need. Is you help me help listeners assess the assessor? So you know, if I were looking to engage a financial advisor, there's some people that have pointed out a couple of few good key questions to ask to you know make sure. That someone is, you know, doing things in your best interests and and setting you up for the future and and just having it be transparent, and all that. So what, uh, you know, from that next rising generation to that, let's call it maybe it's a founder, maybe it is his second generation leader, but somebody who feels this is my baby, I don't want to f it up, right? You got those things going on. They're looking at you. They're looking at something else. What should they What should they be asking you to assess? Are you going to be able to come in and and help bridge and 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 create that real smart conversation between those generations and assessment and the other buckets. I think it goes back to the distinction between content and process. So I give them a okay. process guideline. I explain what that is. I explain that this is not a one shot. It's not like you go to the doctor and get your vitals, mm-hmm. or uh, you go to the vet and you you know douse your dog and you're good. You're pet free, vet uh, flea flea tick kind of scenario. Families are too complex. People are too yeah. complex. Systems are too complex. So I often say it's a six to 18 month process of discovery and recommendations in service over time, in part because that's our experience. You asked about the questions you might ask. Well, that's the content stuff. We now know the top 50 behavioral items that people ought to do based on our research. And uh, the feedback we've had from three or 400 users already, raters in the last few months, that's phenomenal. You'll see some of that in, in the LinkedIn articles that I've written and the mm-hmm. yep. articles that have been published. Well, prior to that, we were all guessing. They were educated guesses, good guesses. Kent and I have been doing this stuff for combined some 70 years, I guess. <laughs> so we think we're pretty qualified, but we're probably wrong more often than not. So now when we articulate what families ought to be doing or what individuals ought to be doing or businesses or owners or uh, systems, that's that's a whole evolution. I know that's going to be augmented by artificial intelligence. has to be. You can go now and ask, how do I improve my capacity to speak in front of others? Sure. Very basic thing. And, and any open AI device will tell you those things. But it's not until you practice right, right. with Jamie in front of you and get that instantaneous feedback or from multiple feedback sources that any of us can improve that behavior, whatever that behavior might be. And I just picked that one at random. I don't think that's really one of our 50. But <laughs> the point is to find behaviors that can be modified over time. Practice. No, I mean, I think, you know, you work a lot on communication and collaboration. So do I. Uh, and, and that is a that ability to communicate one's thoughts in writing in front of us, whatever size group of people is still a skill that's very, very important. Uh, 
And I'm sure it is for yourself, both in selling your services and then in the delivery of them along those 18 months or whatever the period is. You, one of your posts, you had a word that really leapt out at me and I'm, I'm not going to define it for you. I'll, uh, it's talk about triangulation. I'm familiar with it. Um, please explain the concept to our listeners, if you will. Because it's something so, I talked about when I first came back and assessed this family organization, when I rejoined it 15 so years ago. So at the time, the agency was then, you know, 78 years old. And I saw a lot of this. So talk, talk right. about what you see there. It's horrible and gets in the way of a lot of good communication. It's also prevalent and insidious. What do you do when you're discontent? Well, instead of talking to Jamie, you might talk to Jamie's brother or sister or wife or mother or loved one. Why? We create the triangle instead of speaking directly to the individual. Well, we do it sometimes because we're seeking validation and we think that our our reasons are right, or we're seeking another perspective. That's our open, our opening line. May I share something in confidence? But once it's out, it's not in confidence. It's mm-hmm. fuel, right, for triangulation. And it leads to all kinds of drama, literally, which is preventable. So my role often is to call it as I see it, minimize the drama, ask, Jamie, why haven't you spoken to Sarah? I'm making up a name. When you could have done so. And you still can. She's still alive. Mm -hmm. Jamie, have you written your love letter to Sarah? I did this with a family last week. Six folks, mom and dad, and then the next gens and their spouses. And, And I did the old hour bound activity where you take a piece of paper and you write your name on the top. And then you pass it to the right. What do I like or love about that person? Three minutes later, you pass it to the right. What do I like or love about this person? Our agency uses EOS, and we did in our last offsite that 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 very similar exercise and that one page of recap of those those are very powerful. Yes, it is, and I'm told it goes back to Sister um, Montessori. But I don't, I don't know the source. The point is, when we get positive validation, then we can flourish. This is a shift in psychology, in, in our research in the last 20 years. Thankfully, we're overdue, I think, for this recent, this shift. We used to study anxiety and depression and violence. We needed to, but we don't need to anymore. So in 1998, Marty Seligman and others at the American Psychological Association looked around and they saw the preponderance of that stuff and asked, is this really what we want to be studying? When our students and others are saying, how do we flourish? How does a family business flourish? And that's my central question. It has been for decades. We don't have good answers there. I think it goes back to the assessment. I think it goes back to focusing on the strengths of that family, the values that define their behaviors, recommend that they reinforce them over time so that they can serve whatever that legacy might be. We want to talk about the Michelson dynasty, not the Michelson one-hit wonder. Sure. One lifetime. We're looking at a legacy. We're looking at flourishing over time. Ah, now it changes the whole conversation, doesn't it? Yeah. I loved I loved that theme of flourish, growing, which wasn't just growing top line, but as people, right? As an organization and developing people. And I mean, for a lot of our listeners who are professional services businesses, services being challenging to scale, but also being basically people, technology, 
maybe an office <laughs> or an office space that has all that dynamic changing. And then in our place, we say a lot of snacks and coffee. So we add that fourth leg of the stool to the things that you're investing in. Uh, I think our agency was early, I think, on the on the thinking around developing people. Um, I, I want to believe that's part of why we're still vital and resilient place and still going. But, you know, we got to take care of clients. We got to take care of our people. When you talk about, um, you know, things that people start doing, things that people stop doing, things that people continue doing within assessing, within 360 reviews. So for, you know, those people that are are within the family ownership structure of businesses, medium to super large that might be listening to this, go to the start point. Like if if they get a the little summer reflection time, what what should they be thinking about before they call you? <laughs> what what should they be thinking about or reading or or um, jotting down in their phone notes or on a pad of paper? Well, I'll give you my bias because it It'll never be displaced by technology. I think as a species, two traits come to mind. But before I tell you my two, I want to ask your two. Because your answer for the two, if I were to ask you, what are the top two traits, traits you need or competencies you need in your next hire or the next person you want to attract to your office or to your, to your world? I have my two answers. But have you got two that come to your mind, Jamie? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, we talk a lot about living our values. And one of the simple ones is if you have a job description to be able to do all that plus. So there's all these streaming devices that's, you know, Apple plus and this plus and this plus. So in your work life, it's like do all that stuff, but bring a, it's just that little bit of extra effort, proactivity, whatever to it. And the other is uh, just, I, I, it's a I would, I, how I articulate it. It's like competitive, but in a sportsmanlike way. <laughs> you know, not losing that that kind of fight that it has to know that it's still a game. It's still business. I'm not saying it's about you know winning or losing, kill or be killed, but just you know that 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 sort of drive. Is that fair? Of course, it's fair. I, think I gave Baker. you about four things with the two fingers you gave me, but yeah, right. <laughs> Which is what we do sometimes. Yes, but the main point here is you could start articulating those things again and again and again. You could put them on the wall. You could make sure that they're part of your job criteria, right? And you could make sure that on a scale of one to ten, every candidate fits in that rubric or not. Okay. If they're not a seven or more, you're not going to play with them. You're just not going to work with them because they don't fit with Jamie's view of the most important competencies in the world. In a similar way, psychological capital is what academics know to be true, and there's four of those. Doug's list is shorter, too. I would say we all need to demonstrate, we need to start practicing curiosity, because that's what accelerates learning. Yeah, that was the one word I was going to add to my thing. Keep uh -huh. going, please. And the second word is humility, which to me is undervalued. I'm fond of saying, boy, I don't know, can you help me with this? Or I don't understand that. And when I do so, it opens doors. Here's what's cool about those two traits, curiosity and humility. Machines will never replace them. Right. As an agency, if you were to embrace your two, it could open business opportunities. It could accelerate changes. 
And that's the value of qualitative feedback, like what should Doug start doing and stop doing and continue doing? You know, we could have a whole separate conversation on assessing curiosity because it is it's something that we we talk a lot about here. And it is definitely a trait of those people that have success in the advertising business, but within our company and in serving clients. And that idea of being smart and nice and 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 hungry and humble and all of those kinds of kinds of things. Um, I know you have a tight timeline for your scheduling. You're surrounded by a lot of books, so some of which you've written, some of which you've written. For besides besides your own books, what what's something you've read recently that you'd recommend for people who are in this space of family uh, businesses and operations? Doug is for listeners. Doug is going to the shelf. Uh, so he's his own librarian here in this in this setup. All right. Of course, I'm going to give you two. This right. is the best book I've found for family offices. So the title is The Family Office, okay. A Comprehensive okay. Guide for Advisors, Practitioners, and Students. William Woodson and Eddie Marshall uh, co-wrote it. Eddie is at uh, Denton's, which is the largest law firm in the world, and does a podcast, uh, which I was a guest on. He's tied to Columbia Wonderful. Business School. It's, in part, it's experiential. So it walks people through the fact that family offices serve the family business. They, they don't only distribute wealth and assets. Now they're supporting the social emotional sure. needs of the next gens. You say, sure, but my audience doesn't know that right, right. <laughs> quite often. Uh, you probably know McKinsey's studies recently have said that next gens expect mental health services to be provided. Huh, what does that mean in a family office or a family business? It's no longer a negative stigma for somebody to say, I have anxiety. In fact, it's an opening door for them to say, I have anxiety, therefore, I need to speak to my psychologist or a therapist at this time, uh, or I'm on this med. Well, that was unheard of when you and I were sure. kids. Sure. And I think it's an example of the fact that we're becoming more aware and inclusive as a, as a species. The second one is uh, called I Human. How's that? AI automation and the quest to reclaim what makes us unique. The author is prolific and outspoken and dense. Um, I I read a lot, but I uh, didn't read this one quickly. So uh, Thomas Chamorro Prem Music is from Argentina in London, does uh, some work in, in various academic institutions. But for years, he was the CEO at... Um, the Hogan assessment um, platform, and now is at Manpower. Okay. Part because of his scope. He's one of those people who um, often will say things to provoke. And that's the utility of this book. I think as humans, we need to focus on what it is that we're uniquely capable of doing. I have a neighbor who works at Microsoft and runs their learning development hoo-ha and has shown me some of the co-pilot services that are gonna be available in the next few months. You and I will not have a choice. When we go to create an Excel spreadsheet or a Word doc, it will co-pilot, will populate the rest of that based on our digital patterns. Well, what does that mean? As we think ahead about our work as consultants recommending and serving other people, it means that physicians are gonna be more accurate, thank God. <laughs> Wealth advisors, in theory, are gonna be, in fact, serving my interests, not looking at their trailing earnings. And it means that attorneys, I hope, 
are going to be using adjudicated law, not their 40-year-old reading of the law that has subsequently changed in whatever state they practice in. We've got lots of inconsistencies right now, which are only going to be improved. There's this myth out there that AI is going to displace jobs, and there's no evidence of that. In yeah, history. right. I, 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 I'm re studying this. First of all, we're talking about how we're already using it and have been using it in so many different ways. I love the the visual of the sort of seat next to you, the co-pilot. This you're still flying, you're still the pilot, but you get a little bit more help through through the journey um, versus being kicked out of the plane. I, I think somebody said like if you were playing in a band and someone came up with some new instrument you haven't seen before, they'd come in and you go, hey, let's experiment with that. Let's play with that. Let's, you wouldn't be, oh, that's going to put us all out of music. Music's done. You'd just be, no, it's a, it's a new, it's a new instrument. And if you embraced your curiosity and if you were to say, I, your humility, I, don't, yeah. I don't know any better. That's why I've recently landed on those two adjectives. So what else do you want to know, Mr. Jamie? I, I, I guess the, the last place I would leave is, well, you know, we'll talk about how people can get in touch with you, and I'll make sure we we share that out. But you know, so turning it just personally for a second. So we're an advertising agency going into we're in our ninety fourth year, third generation. So proud of our history and our path in a business that is classically. What have you done for me lately? Right, you got to be delivering tomorrow and tomorrow. What what you know? So it, may, it brings it really close to home. What should I be thinking about? that maybe I'm not thinking about. On your website, does it articulate that you are a family-owned business? Yes. And does it state in short words, because you're a verbal person, those three or four, <laughs> two or three <laughs> key values? We've got some very good writers and editors here, thankfully, yes. Uh, in, in some clever way so that you can express them again and again and again. That's what yes. separates you in the marketplace. That's your social capital. That's what makes your family business unique. Um, you may know this, but you represent 60 plus percent of our GDP. Businesses depend on family-owned businesses leveraging the markets. You're gonna often be more loyal to George, that longtime employee, than you ought to be because George mm -hmm. may or may not be as capable uh, as he once was, but as family, owners, business owners, we typically focus on the strengths of our history. I think we need to start focusing more on the strength of our potential. Time is like another dimension in your family meeting. If you've got six people in your family meeting, set a seventh chair. And that seventh chair could be for a religious figure. <laughs> That's a common practice. Bring the, or, bring the, Eli bring the Elijah chair in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or future, the future business, the future time. I think, I know that, that that's called prospective thinking. It's their prefrontal cortex. It's the hope capacity. As a species, we're able to define the will and the way. If your family business articulates some of that, then you can be more resilient and more optimistic. And that's a whole other topic. I'm, I'm verbal and visual. I love the empty chair. I, it's, it's a, uh, <laughs> I, but I appreciate you filling a chair and, and doing, doing this today. So, uh, Tell people how they can reach Doug Gray at the at, sure. at the do the acronym for me again. Fam I Family Business Consulting Group, which I first got introduced to at an event out in Grand Rapids. So I know there's clearly a lot of generational businesses with with great roots and pride there and and connection to your organization. 
Uh, Michigan's phenomenal. And I think we've got four people now in Michigan, two in Wisconsin. So there's 32 of us. And um, that website is is the fbcg.com, which is not the First Baptist Church of Georgia. But I guess that was the <laughs> so There you go. Now you'll remember. Uh, that's one website. My uh, most recent project is called assessnextgen.com. There's a bunch of free stuff there and a bunch of opportunities for people to download and read and, and learn. My main site is action-learning.com, which is the mothership that I've had since 97, which reflects a lot of my research and interests. And one last one is called Okay, Our Leadership, which you didn't ask about, but that's fine. And, and led to this book in part because uh, people wanted to know, how do I make decisions at a, at a messy environment? whether it's Intel or uh, a local salvage yard. Well, I wanted to ask about that, but you were smart enough to put time constraints on me. <laughs> I was like, each of these areas are their own 25 plus minute segments, right? I mean, they're, 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 they're rich, but uh, I, Doug, I thank you for, uh, you know, indulging my curiosity and for being, you know, this, this, you know, 25 years you've put into uh, helping these businesses communicate, connect, assess—you know—and bring some some process to it. I, I I hadn't thought about the point of what you're doing is really still early innings, because some of these businesses have been around a long, long time, and they would like to be around longer. It's it's about being stronger and better in the future. Uh, so need to think about it that way. Absolutely right, and I think that's the reason why you and I are doing it, doing this. We have an obligation to share what we yeah. know. How's that? And a, and a nice a nice vehicle and platform with which to do that from. So thanks again. Thanks for hosting. All the best. Glad to be a resource anytime. Hope this is useful to someone. Generation Excellence is a production of SMZ Advertising. Thanks to Joel Bienenfeld, Jeff Martin, and Bridget Georgeski for help with this program. Thank you for listening. And please share, leave reviews, and contact me if you have any thoughts, ideas, questions. Until next time.